Join us as we peruse all things Potter. Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today we're going to be talking all about Hogwarts. So this is going to be a long one. I'm just going to forewarn (laughs) you guys. Um, So I would buckle in for probably at least an hour and a half. (laughs) We'll see. Just to like preface this, a lot of the info is from the ebook, um, which is in it's called Hogwarts An Incomplete and Unreliable Guide, and it's from the Pottermore Presents series that came out in like 2016, I think. Yeah, so it's from that same um, like batch of ebooks that we used a lot for the Professor Slughorn episode. So, just a quick reminder this episode, even though it's still not June when we're recording, it's going to come out in June. So, it is going to come out during our Pride Month fundraiser. So, if you guys have donated, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Like we've stressed in the past two episodes where I think we've talked about this, this really does mean a lot to us. We put a, quite a bit of work here on the front end, um, getting it all set up and like working out how we wanted it to run so thank you so much for helping with that and donating money to a cause that we both really care about um you can still donate we're going to run it for the entire month of june so like we've said before we're going to link the gofundme it's going to be on all of our social media as well as in the episode notes for every episode in june And then we also, we just have a brand new announcement for you guys. So we're going to start, we're going to do a giveaway. So how this is going to work is for the remainder of June for everybody who joins our Facebook group. By the end of June, everybody in the Facebook group will be entered to randomly win a prize pack that we're going to put together. So if you listen to the end of our episodes, because I know a lot of people don't listen to the end of podcasts, I'm guilty of that as well. I don't need to hear all of the announcements. They're always the same. But we do have a Facebook group. It's called Wizard Studies Podcast Group. And we're really trying to create a platform and a way that we can cultivate discussions about Potter and include you guys. Because as much as I love talking to Audrey about Potter, (laughs) it would be nice to maybe hear some other opinions. We've been putting our pop quiz questions in there and then including listener responses in our episode so it's a way for you to get engaged with the podcast if you wish to do so and a way for you guys to interact with us and maybe talk about some things that we've missed in previous episodes or correct to some things we've gotten wrong or just start new discussion that branched off from an episode. So we'd really appreciate you guys all joining. Like I said before, everybody who's in the Facebook group on June 30th are there 30 days in June or 31? yeah on June 30th will be entered to and then randomly a winner will be randomly picked to win a prize pack that we're going to put together more details on that to come yeah I do want to say that something that will likely be included in the prize pack are these really cool new stickers that we got um which I think we're going to be a little bit less liberal with than the buttons that probably a lot of our listeners already have um but katie designed some awesome stickers they you might have seen them on our social media i think she posted one a photo of one on our story but it's like a quill 
and it says our logo or it says wizard studies podcast in the quill um and i have one on my laptop and i think it looks great so that would be like a limited chance to win one of those um the other thing i wanted to say about the group is that currently so we're recording this end of may and we just started doing the like 30 day harry potter challenge that a lot of people have been doing on social media we're doing it in the group so every day i'll post the challenge from our page and then we all like comment katie and i will both comment our answer and um people in the group are also commenting their answers and it's been fun so far we're on day three so this is coming out in June 16th so like it'll still be going towards the back end of it but still be going then so you should join the group and join that discussion and also feel free to post any questions you have on Potter any unpopular opinions or whatever like oh I love when people post memes too (laughs) I love I love a good Harry Potter meme yeah I have seen a couple good ones like you know that like popular meme that's going on is like 2019 and then 2020 and it's like different pictures I've seen a couple really good Potter ones of of those so okay I guess it's time for the episode yeah so now that we're done just (laughs) talking and vamping before we get to the real content we're gonna start with the first mention of Hogwarts which when I found it and read it to Audrey we're both Audrey we were both like this is not what we expected it to be um yeah I want to say this is not technically the first mention because obviously Harry learns about Hogwarts before he shows up there but it's like the first description that like iconic moment I'm sure you're seeing it in your head from the movies of like the boats coming up to the castle yeah so this is in the chapter the journey from platform nine and three quarters and the first book oh side note so i call the first book harry potter and the sorcerer's stone and i bet like a lot of our american listeners also call it that but i was watching a youtube video the other day where they like basically said that sorcerer's stone is the incorrect name for the book like it's not what jk rowling named it and now i feel like super self-conscious about saying sorcerer's stone but i feel like very pretentious if i were to say philosopher's stone because i'm like that's not what the book is called for me so i'm like i don't i never know what to call the first book um anyway just call it stone harry potter one (laughs) (laughs) And this is on page 111. You'll get your first sight of Hogwarts in a sec, Hagrid called over his shoulder, just around the bend here. There was a loud ooh. The narrow path had opened suddenly onto the edge of a great black lake. Perched atop a high mountain on the other side, its windows sparkling in the starry sky, was a vast castle with many turrets and towers. And that's our (laughs) description of Hogwarts. And like... I am not joking when I tell you that, like, that's the end of the sentence, and then it literally goes on to, like, a different subject. Like, they don't even talk about Hogwarts anymore. It's Neville losing his toad, or Neville technically finding his toad, is what the rest (laughs) of this chapter is about. And then, like, less than a page later, they're knocking on the front door, so. Yeah. I think it's just crazy, because probably the first time... I read that. Well, I don't know. We've talked about this. We don't really remember the first time we read the books because it's all like convoluted with the movies and everything. But like probably the first time I read that or the first time like a lot of people read that when like they hadn't, the movies weren't out. It like 
conveys an image but it's not like that like meaningful but yeah. now I feel like it's taken on so much meaning and like when you read that sentence like I can see it perfectly in my mind and yeah. it's just a few words yeah I mean that just that scene in the movie is I think one of the more iconic scenes in like cinema throughout my lifetime I know that like when you think of iconic scenes you don't generally think of movies from like the 2000s or the late 1990s you think of like movies from the 80s and before but I think that scene I think is gonna end up being like one of the most iconic scenes in cinema for like our generation Mm. yeah I agree all right so jumping right into the founding of the school so obviously Hogwarts full name is Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry and the uh the motto of the school in Latin is Draco Dormian's Nunquam Titulandus which translates to Neville never <laughs> never tickle a sleeping dragon not Neville <laughs> um so the school was founded sometime in the 10th century by four of the greatest witches and wizards of all time, not Dumbledore, but Godric of Midor, Salazar Slytherin, Rowena Ravenclaw, and Helga Hufflepuff. Um, they probably all came together because they all had those like double initials. Yeah. They just made a club for alliterative, na- alliterative names. <laughs> so the Sorting Hat tells us that they chose to found the school because, quote, they had. Uh, they had the quote self same learning god i can't read today <laughs> they had the self same yearning to make the world's best magic school and i just wanted to note that the apparently so the number that's often thrown out as like the date that the school was founded is 993 but the that i guess the source on that is the like film dvds there's like a timeline in the DVDs, mm-hmm. um, so I that technically isn't canon. Yeah. Um, I think canon is just sometime in the 10th century. I feel like it's really weird that we don't have an actual date. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to talk about this from the founders. It's not really. It's just that one of my favorite theories is that the Chronicles of Narnia mm. um, theory that the children are each of the founders. So Peter is the Gryffindor. Susan. Peter is Godric Gryffindor, Susan is Rowena Ravenclaw, Edmund is Salazar Slytherin, and Lucy is Helga Hufflepuff. And this is actually, like, a really cool theory. I think we've talked about it on the pod before, but I encourage people to look into that. It's, like, down to, like, the colors that all the kids are wearing, like, in the movies. Um, And it really matches their traits, too, so. I do think that JK has talked about, like, inspirations from, like, J.R.R.R. Tolkien nope. and nope. C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis. Oh, I was you're saying say. Tolkien was the <laughs> no, 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 no. Because like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien are like weren't they even friends? Like I, yeah, I don't know. But she said that C.S. Lewis is like her favorite author. I think mm. too. Like definitely an influence there, and I think it would be really cool. I don't need her to confirm this. I don't no. need her to say anything, mm-hmm. but. I, I really like this theory. Okay, so anyway, back to the founders. Um, they each founded their own, own house within the school for different traits. We know this all very well, so I'm not going to belabor that point. 
Um, but back in those times, wizards were persecuted by muggles, so the school was founded in the Scottish Highlands with its location unplottable, and any muggle that approached it would just see ruins and danger signs. Um, there also is an unconfirmed wizarding theory that um, Rowena Ravenclaw came up with the name after dreaming of a warty hog that led her to a cliff by a lake. So this is like unconfirmed wizarding theory is like a theory in the wizarding world. Like this information comes from JK. Um, Ravenclaw also came up with the ever-changing floor plan at Hogwarts. So I just want to point out that Ravenclaw is clearly the best founder because she came up with the name and the floor plan. So like that seems pretty important. She did a lot of good things. Um, basically did all the important things for the school. But then Helga Hufflepuff brought the house elves in to make the good feast. So we'll give her like second best. And then of course we all know the story about the falling out that the four, four founders had. So Salazar Slytherin um, believed that only purebloods should be taught in the school. And then they had that big falling out. Basically, all of the other founders were like, no, that's terrible. And he left the school, leaving behind the Chamber of Secrets and a monster, which I will talk about more later. <laughs> so this next section is going to talk about how you get to Hogwarts. So first, I'm going to talk about um, King's Cross Station and then Platform 9 three quarters and then the Hogwarts Express. Which is the way it is in the ebook, but doesn't really make much sense. Like, I get that it's also, like, how you get there. But, like, in the King's Cross station, they mention, like, Adeline Gamble. But they don't, like, describe who yeah. she is. And then it's described in the, King, in the Hogwarts Express section. I don't know. It seems very not streamlined but anyways so king's cross station is actually a real muggle train station you can go and visit it um we did we have been there in the movies like in chamber of secrets the building that they show as like being king's cross station is not it's um like just it's across like the street door, yeah. yeah um crap i forget what the name of that building is I'll look it up. Okay. Um, like, the big, beautiful building is not really King's Cross. King's Cross is, like, directly next to it, I believe. And it's just, like, a normal train station. Except not in between barriers 9, not in between stations 9 and 10, but there is a um, push cart a luggage cart I don't know what it is um trolley there we go there is a trolley halfway through the wall that you can take pictures with and there's the King's Cross Station store excuse me the King's Cross King's Cross Station store that has um officially licensed Warner Brothers uh garb oh and they try they try to so you can, like, get your picture taken in front of the trolley. Mm -hmm. And they, like, take pictures for you. Yeah. But you can also 
don't be afraid to take your own pictures like have your friend take them and they'll still like throw the scarf and everything and make it look like you're running so don't buy into their scam where like they take the pictures for you and then you have to pay for them yeah i'm pretty sure you can even ask the photographer to take just pictures on your phone like kind of at disney world like they have the photo pass photographers and i feel like a lot of people are hesitant to be like hey can you also take pictures on my phone but they will um and they're (laughs) My favorite thing is that there's a person whose job it is. I assume they, like, rotate, but somebody is in charge of, like, flicking the scarf so it, like, flows behind you so it looks like you're running. And I think that's an, that would be an awesome job to have. I can't figure out what the building next to King's Cross is. I feel like it starts with Saint. So... Um, now I'm talking about, like, the Wizarding World, King's Cross. Oh, actually, to talk a little bit more about the Muggle World, King's Cross. So, apparently, um, J.K. Rowling picked King's Cross specifically because her parents met on a train that departed from King's Cross. Um, so, she always had in mind that it was going to be King's Cross Station. As well as, there's just, like, this weird theme of trains kind of being important in J.K. Rowling's life. Like, I'm sure you guys have all heard the story that she came up with this, like, the Harry Potter story while on a train. Um, So it's also not a surprise that she chose a train as being the method of transportation. But now, switching into the wizarding world. So Audeline Gamble was the prime minister who started the use of the Hogwarts Express and obviously, like, King's Cross because there was no need to use King's Cross before the Hogwarts Express. St. Pancras Railway Mm. Station. So it's like another train station. It's right next door. Yeah. And King's Cross has like the arches, but St. Pancras has like the pretty little tower. Yeah. I think it's prettier. Yeah, I'm sure that's why they chose to use it for the movie. So when they started using the Hogwarts Express, um, they had to create a wizarding village, like a wizard... A wizarding village to serve as like the station town for the end of the railway like to Hogwarts so Hogsmeade was created so it's not very old because I believe this kind of happened in like the 1800s um it happened right after the statue of secrecy was uh enacted so right around there she um But obviously, she didn't want to construct a wizarding village in the middle of downtown London because that would be very difficult. So they decided um, Evangeline Orpington was actually the minister from 1849 to 1855, and she was the one who came up with the idea for the hidden platform in King's Cross. And this solution did work pretty well over the years, but... Which is in this is quoting from the ebook. Witches and wizards have who have dropped suitcases full of Biden spell books or newt spleens all over the polish station floor, or else disappeared through the solid barrier a little too loudly, have caused it to have problems of its own. I don't <laughs> think that any solution would be perfect. I'll talk a little bit later how they used to travel to Hogwarts, and it was worse than this. So as a result of this happening, there are normally ministry wizards, like dressed as muggles, that just kind of mill about and hang around the barrier to assist in any memory wipes that need to happen. So then specifically, platform nine and three quarters uh, is a hidden platform, obviously, between barriers nine and ten. And 
there in the writing it's alluded to the fact that there's probably a system of like fractional station numbers so like seven and a half i think was proposed as maybe being the barrier that you would take trains to get to um like all wizarding villages in britain yeah it was like a a wizarding version of the orient express where it was uh, across the whole continental europe yeah there's also maybe a version of like a wizarding orient express orient express as audrey just said no it's okay and then there's also the possibility that there's ones that are kind of just used for bigger one-off events so like a celestina warbeck concert And then specifically the Hogwarts Express. So before Platform 9 3 quarters and before King's Cross and before the Hogwarts Express, students used to travel to Hogwarts however they wanted. So broomsticks, carts, carriages. It's also believed that the Thestrals that are on the school grounds were left there from previous people who used them to travel to Hogwarts and then just left them there. So the ones are like ancestors of ones that were used to get to Hogwarts. Um... I don't think that you're going to talk. I don't think this is in your notes. But I wanted to bring this up real quick. It's not super related. But in the book, they say something about, like, they also, students also tried to, like, apparate. Mm -hmm. And that led to some issues because of the anti-apparition charms. And it says, like, anti-apparition charms are on Hogwarts from its founding. So that kind of disproves... I know in, like, Crimes of Grindelwald, people were really angry because it looked like the characters were operating into Hogwarts or into, like, the grounds. Mm -hmm. And obviously Hermione would tell us, like, you can't operate in and out of Hogwarts. And people were like, oh, well, maybe, like, those charms were put on later. Yeah. Well, that disproves that theory. And it just means that the movies were wrong. Yeah, it says that, like, messy messy situations, I think, might have been the phrasing, like, when people apparated. So, I'm not sure if, like, I don't know what the defenses are against apparition, but it didn't sound like it was pleasant. (laughs) Um, And, obviously, you could probably guess that these, like, varied ways of transportation caused a lot of chaos. So they were seen by muggles every year and accidents happen like through the broomsticks, through the thestrals, like people could get injured or like we just said, the apparition accidents. But this was all pre-statute of secrecy. So it was okay, I guess. Um, But after the statute of secrecy was passed, they really did need to find a better solution. So they first considered port keys, but they tried this and it up to a third of all students missed their time, whether because they were late or because they couldn't find the port key that they were looking for. Um, Which I, I'm surprised that more students aren't late for the Hogwarts Express then (laughs) if it was such a big problem with port keys. Um, but maybe if they're like times change every year or I don't, I don't know, maybe they're more inconvenient times in the middle of the day. Um, this would also lead to a lot of kids getting port key sick, which would cause them to be in the hospital wing for the first few days of term every year, which just isn't a great experience for anybody. The next solution they considered was the flu network, but the teachers and headmasters were like very hesitant because this could lead to some security problems by opening up a fireplace in Hogwarts to the flu network. 
Um, in the end, Minister Adeline Gamble then proposed the idea of a train. Um, apparently, I, I think this is a female, but um, they were, she was like kind of obsessed with like muggle may, ways of transportation and trains <laughs> in general. Um, so that's how she came up with the idea. And where the Hogwarts Express comes from, nobody really knows, but there are some like secret documentation in the ministry that did show evidence of an operation where a total of 167 muggles memories were modified, which this is the largest mass concealment term ever performed in Britain, which is very important because as we've seen Fantastic Beasts, there's probably a bigger one that happened in New York City in the 1920s. Mm, yeah so it's clear that it is in britain so after this there was a beautiful scarlet steam engine that just magically appeared in hogsmeade and all the residents were like i didn't even know we had a train station which (laughs) then i'm confused because i thought it said earlier that hogsmeade was created because of the station needed at like a village station village no at the beginning it does say that Hogs, Hogsmeade was was created because they needed a station village. Hmm. I don't know whether that's like meant to imply that they just needed some sort of like village at like near Hogwarts. Oh no! It says she also had constructed a small station in the Wizarding Village. Of oh, Hogsmeade. okay, gotcha. I just misread that then. So ignore that. Um, so, like I said, the wizards that lived in Hogsmeade just never even knew that they had a a train station because they didn't previously have a train station and then there was also a couple sub there was a couple muggle train workers who just had like were left with this sinking feeling that they misplaced something very important um which obviously we can infer that we stole or the the magical world stole a scarlet steam engine from the muggle world and (laughs) covered it up through memory terms and then when this first came into effect, into effect, pureblood families were very against this idea because they didn't want their kids to get on muggle transportation. They saw it as like beneath them, as dirty, as more dangerous than wizarding transportation. But this was quickly, quickly fixed because it was said that either you rode the train or you didn't go to Hogwarts. And they went to Hogwarts. So, <laughs> Bit of an ultimatum. Yeah. All right, so then, kind of following naturally from that, once students arrive at Hogwarts, they are sorted. So the second chapter of the ebook talks about sorting. So the sorting hat um, once belonged to Godric Gryffindor, we know. And so it was then enchanted by all four founders, so students could be sorted into houses based on the founders' preferences. It's implied that this was, like, for when the founders were gone, but I'm I'm curious, it seems like they might have used it while they were still alive, too. Kind of, like, to ease the process. Yeah, or, like, maybe they used the hat to, like, kind of read into the students, and then it, like, reported back to the founders, and then the founders Mm. could, like, make the decision, maybe? Yeah. Um, And so it's, like, kind of, it's one of the cleverest objects we know of in the Wizarding World. It contains the intelligence of four founders, who we know are supposed to be, like, the greatest wizards of all time. Um, it can speak through a rip near its brim, and it's skilled at legitimacy, so it can look into the wearer's head. And this was, like, interesting to me because 
I feel like legitimacy is such a rare thing that it seems like I think basically my headcanon I think is that one of the founders had to be a legitimate for the hat to have this power like I don't think they could have given it to the hat yeah um I like I feel like that's like it needed to get that skill from one of them I would say probably the most likely to be a legitimate would be Slytherin I was kind of thinking that way initially or Ravenclaw. Yeah, I, Ravenclaw was, like, my second guess. I feel like Gryffindor is, like, the obvious one. Like, oh, Gryffindor is the answer to any question. Mm. I just, I feel like legitimates are kind of, like, a sneaky thing. Yeah. So I guess just, like, fitting with, like, the traits of the house, like, Slytherin and Ravenclaw are a little bit sneaky. Yeah, and I mean, like, the two, like, best legitimates and Aquamans that we know are Voldemort and Snape, which are yeah both Slytherins. and like Draco's supposed to be a Sly- uh, yeah Legilimens, which like there's no evidence for that in the series, but it's like yeah, or at least it's like not said in the series. There might be yeah. instances that can be explained because he was a legitimate a le- yes. a Legilimens, a legil a legitimate Legilimens. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think. I also think Ravenclaw, like, a case can be made for her being a Legilimens, um, because of, like, I was thinking about the diadem, Mm -hmm. and there's, like, all this kind of mystery around the diadem, and if it's actually, if it actually does increase the intelligence of the wearer, and I feel like, I feel like some of the, like, allure of the powers of that could be, like, just from Ravenclaw herself being really powerful and wearing the diadem and like mm-hmm. something like her being a legitimate and being, being able to read people's thoughts would make her seem more intelligent too. Um, so I don't know. I think that would be a cool thing to find out. Could be Hufflepuff. We didn't throw that name out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like Hufflepuff, not obviously. Like legitimate is sneaky i feel like help pups do honest <laughs> i also think that that would like maybe take away some of the like open and it's and like openness mm-hmm. that hufflepuff had i don't know like whereas if she doesn't know anything of, like about the person that she's conversing with like she would still treat them the same and i feel like her being a legitimate would like take away from that yeah like trait yeah. of hers i don't know yeah and so also the hat um another like power that it has is that it can respond to the thoughts of the wearer so like not only can it read the thoughts but it it can also converse like without using its mouth it can like we see it talk to harry um and so the hat also has another power where it serves as a magical portal to access the sword of gryffindor um apparently godric gryffindor enchanted the sword to appear whenever a member of his house or like his descendants asked for help while wearing the hat and i'll talk more about the sword later um the hat also claims to never have made a mistake in sorting and stands by that even when students act out of character for their house and it wasn't originally in jk's plans to use the hat um she came up with a number of different ideas for sorting the first was like this machine that did a bunch of magical things and then kind of like spat out an answer of what house you're in and then the next idea was that there would be statues of the four founders and they would come alive and select students during the sorting ceremony um this would be like in the entrance hall with the rest of the school watching and so i think it's fair to assume that this is where she like then adapted this idea for ilvermorny Mm -hmm. um 
when it's like magical creatures doing it but it's the same idea kind of like a proxy choosing and then um she finally got the idea for the sorting hat because she was thinking about like all the different ways that people are selected for things and she thought about picking names out of a hat a little pun there i I guess i like that and then the other thing that we learned about with regards to sorting is hat stalls. So this is an archaic term for any student whose sorting takes longer than five minutes. And it only, it's really rare, it only happens about once every 50 years. So out of Harry's fellow students, um, no one was a hat stall, but Hermione and Neville came really close to being hat stalls. It said that Hermione, for Hermione, the hat, um, debated for four minutes between Ravenclaw and Gryffindor. And then for Neville, the hat was really set on Gryffindor, but Neville was, like, arguing for Hufflepuff. So it wasn't really that the hat couldn't make a decision. It was just, like, probably took a while because, like, Neville and... um, Neville and the hat were, like, having the conversation. And so, like, Harry, like, probably came closer than other people to being a hat stall. Yeah. But I think Neville is maybe considered being closer to a hat stall because it, like, it probably took longer. Whereas, like, Harry, for Harry, the hat was, like, not really set on Gryffindor or Slytherin. It was, like, kind of fine with either. Yeah. And Harry, like, was for Slytherin, or was for Gryffindor. Yeah. It was, like, an easier decision to make. There wasn't as much, like, back and forth. Like, the hat had to basically right. convince Neville that he belonged in Gryffindor. Right. I would love a little short story with, like, that Yeah, that would be really good. Um, and then there... Harry only knew two true hat stalls. Um, so the first is McGonagall, who... It took five and a half minutes for the hat to decide between Ravenclaw and Gryffindor. Kind of like Hermione. Mm-hmm. And then Peter Pettigrew, the hat was deciding between Gryffindor and Slytherin. And it doesn't say how long that took, but obviously over five minutes. And the hat kind of cites the manner in which Wormtail died as, quote, dubious evidence for the hat being right. Um, So that is like one instance where people are like, oh, you were wrong. And the hat is really backing up his word, I guess, saying that since Wormtail was brave in his death. Yeah. So this is a very big discussion and we'll obviously have it when we do a Peter Pettigrew episode because we haven't done one of those, right? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) that's what we need to do. There we go. Um, But I will say that Super Carlin Bros, just as of recording, released a video on like whether Peter Pettigrew sorting was correct. And the way that they look at it is a way that like I had never thought thing to look at it before like they use process of elimination instead of like which one does he fit the best Mm. and so basically the argument that they make is that like the hat didn't really choose Gryffindor like Gryffindor was just like the best option it was like the least bad option for Wormtail and like I buy that because I don't think he fits Slytherin and I think that's the only like valid argument that could be made like he's not ambitious he's not mm. conniving he's not cunning i yeah i think that gryffindor is just what was left it's it's up for self-preservation yes which i think could also be like a gryffindor trait like obviously their self-preservation might be more seen like as brave deeds or like bravery mm. i don't know but 
Yeah, we can get into that. Yeah, but it was very interesting. I recommend checking it out. Nice. Or don't and just wait for us to talk about it. Either way. (laughs) So the next section is about the castle itself. So I'll go through a um, couple of like the more important rooms that we encounter throughout the castle. Because to go through like all of the rooms and all of the floors and the layout is just a little bit much and probably would be an episode on its own. And I just want to say that out of all the Harry Potter content we could have been given post the publication of Deathly Hallows, Hogwarts A History would be like the number one thing I would want. And like, Mm -hmm. I feel like this is kind of like the undeniable or the unreliable or whatever guide that we're going through right now for Hogwarts is kind of like supposed to be her substitute for not giving us Hogwarts A History. Or, like, just a floor plan of the castle, like, would be so nice. But, like, the way that she is, like, well, I could never give you a floor plan of the castle because it changes all the time. It's, like, no, you just don't want to make one. Um, Anyways, so I'm going to first go through all the common rooms, like, pretty quickly because we did discuss each of them in our house episodes, which, if you haven't listened to, I highly recommend. Um, They're, like, my favorite episodes. episodes. Yeah, I think they're my favorite episodes we've ever done. I wish we had more to do. I know. Um, But so... There is, in the book, there's a whole section on the Hufflepuff common room and not the other common rooms, and I believe this is because, like, obviously we see all the other ones in the books. Um, Even though you can find all of the information about Hufflepuff, like, on Pottermore, I think she wanted to include it in, like, an official writing of hers, like, piece of writing. Um, So I'm going to go through Hufflepuff first. That's not because I'm a Hufflepuff. It's because that was what was in the book. That was my justification. Um, So the common room is in the basements near the kitchens. You have to tap a barrel in a specific rhythm to get in, and it's the rhythm of, like, Helga Hufflepuff. And if you tap it incorrectly, you are doused with with vinegar. It's bright and has lots of plants. The windows are, like, just, like, almost level with the ground. So you have, like, this really nice view of, like, sprawling grounds and then the lake in the background. Um, There's a portrait of Helga Hufflepuff in the common room holding uh, Hufflepuff's cup. cup. And then something that I found very interesting just, like, through reading it is that everything in the common room is round. Like, the room is round, the windows are round, the doors are round. Um, Like, basically, everything is described as being round, which, I don't know, I thought was interesting. But it's got, like, yellow tones, earth tones, and a lot of wood in the decor of the room. The Ravenclaw common room is in the Ravenclaw Tower. It's behind a door with an eagle door knocker, I believe. Yeah. I just want to say, you said that the Hufflepuff has a great view, but it does say on Pottermore that Ravenclaw's common room has the best view. Well, I think that, like, I'm not disagreeing with that, but (laughs) the views are very different. Because, like, obviously this one's at, like, eye level. So I think it maybe is, like... You can see people walking by. Yeah, or, like, maybe, like, more of an interesting view, just because it's a view you don't generally get of the grounds, like, at a different Mm -hmm. angle. But I do think that, the like, Ravenclaw probably, like, objectively has the best view, because, number one, that's said, and number one, like, you get better views from being higher. Like, you can see more things. And it's the highest... Yeah, well, it is the highest tower. tower. Well, it's the second highest, because... It's the highest... Astronomy tower. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, 
there's no like door handle on the door i don't believe until you answer the riddle so you like you use the knocker and then the eagle asks you a riddle and then you have to answer the riddle to gain entry it's also everywhere it's described as the airiest of all the common rooms and like i don't I don't really know like what an airy room looks like um but i think it has like high ceilings yeah it definitely it has high high ceilings tall arched windows blue and bronze like i think silk is the word that's used to describe them like drapes all over the walls there's like books everywhere and then there's a marble statue of rowena for the Slytherin common room it's under the black lake and you can get there through the dungeons which being under the black lake causes this like greenish glow to the room and you enter through a door that only reveals itself behind a blank stretch of wall when you say the password the decor is like very dark a lot of like the couches and like stuff leather is used in it and it seems like very i don't know if like gothic is the right word but it seems like a vampire's dwelling in like one of Mm. those old like like one the mo- movies and stuff like it just looks very like dark and haunting and like fancy and like not really homey <laughs> no not at all and then i'm going to speak very very briefly about the gryffindor common room because it's all we anyways we we are there <laughs> a lot throughout the series so the gryffindor common room is in the gryffindor tower and you must use a password that you give to the fat lady which is a portrait and then the portrait will swing open and you'll climb through to get up to the common room uh, the room is comfy and it uses se- several shades of red in the decor like lots of squashy armchairs is the word that's always used to describe them which What I found most interesting going back through like all of these together instead of separately, it's like very clear that Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff have like portrait and then a statue of their founder. I don't think like I could have just missed it because there is a lot more information on the Slytherin and Gryffindor common rooms, but I didn't find any evidence that there's like a portrait or a statue Mm. or a bust of their founders in their common room. Um, I feel like Gryffindor would have a bust. Yeah. I would be, like, kind of interesting for them all to have, like, a different, like, a statue, a portrait, a bust, Mm. and then, like, a tapestry or, like, you know, like, different forms. Yeah, Um, that'd be cool. Yeah. Or maybe just, like, a giant floating head, like, Wizard (laughs) of Oz for Slytherin. I could see that. So moving on, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Great Hall. So it's located right off of the entrance hall. Um, It's the main gathering place for when the whole school needs to be together. And this is where students obviously eat their meals and it's where they receive their post. This is also where the sorting uh, ceremony is held at the beginning of every year. And so within the Great Hall, there's five tables. There's the staff table or the high table at one end of the room, kind of horizontal. And then in the middle of that, there's like the throne-like chair that the headmaster sits in or the headmistress sits in. And then depending on like which way you're looking at it, then then there's the four house tables that are vertical, kind of like facing the high table. Um, like going the length of the hall yeah and i have this note later but i'll probably i'm just going to talk about it now so apparently throughout the books and the movies 
the arrangement and order that the tables go in changes. Um, I don't think it's supposed to change like in universe. I just think it's like a mistake that's made, at least within the books. In the movies, they can do whatever the fuck they want. Whatever suits them best, they can do for the tables. But in the movies, I guess it's first described as Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Slytherin, and then Hufflepuff. Is that which is closest to the I think so um which is closest because in the books it's always like Gryffindor on one end and Slytherin on the other end I'm pretty sure or like Slytherin Slytherin at least is on one end in the in the movies it's always Gryffindor and Slytherin are furthest apart yeah Yeah. but so in the books I believe it's first described like I said as Gryffindor Ravenclaw Slytherin and then Hufflepuff which is closest to to the doors from the perspective of the high table however in Goblet of Fire during the Tri Wizard tournament, there is descriptions of Harry walking in between the Gryffindor and Hufflepuff table, and then Fleur walking in between the Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff tables, with Slytherin being the table closest to the door. So it's a completely different arrangement because Gryffindor and Hufflepuff are not even next to each other in the original description of the tables as well as Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff are not seen as being next to each other so like in this instance I believe that it would be like Gryffindor Hufflepuff Ravenclaw Slytherin which is what it is in the movies most of the time so I don't know yeah I think that I was gonna say that's the order I have it in my head and I think it might be from the movies but it's like when you're walking in left to right Slytherin Ravenclaw Hufflepuff, Gryffindor. And I feel like that makes sense with, like, the houses, because, like, Gryffindor and Slytherin, you would think, would be furthest apart. Mm -hmm. And then, like, Ravenclaw is kind of the most similar, besides Gryffindor, it's, like, kind of got that, like, similar to Slytherin Mm -hmm. traits. And then, like, Hufflepuff and Gryffindor, I feel like, go together a little bit. But the other thing that I wanted to say is, so the Great Great Hall is one of the sets that you can walk through at Warner Brothers, Mm -hmm. but all of the tables are like pushed to the side um i believe there's like maybe a table on each end like you walk in where the two middle like you can walk where the two middle tables would be and then there's like a table kind of in each like corner yeah with Um, like stuff set up on it yeah so you can't really tell from there what it is yeah and when audrey and i went to the studio tour it was actually during the like dark arts it was during the halloween season so it was the set was dressed like it was for halloween like there were pumpkins everywhere very cool um i also will say that this was a trivia question i got once and got it wrong so whoever made that trivia the tables yeah the order of the tables obviously didn't Hmm. know that it changes yeah Um, Going back to a little bit more about, like, the description of the Great Hall. So, the ceiling is enchanted to look like the sky outside. So, I have to imagine that it's mostly cloudy pretty much all of the time because Britain. Probably also, like, rainy a lot. Um, Obviously, it's not actually raining in the Great Hall. Like, you don't get wet when you're sitting (laughs) there, but... It doesn't seem like, like in Hawaii, that would be super nice. It would always be like bright and sunny until there's like a hurricane. Anyways, um, so there are small windows all over the hall, but then there's like one big one behind the staff table and the great hall gets decorated for the holidays as we see with Halloween and Christmas. I will say that kind of going through this, I realized that the Halloween feast is the main, like the Halloween feast, the end of term feast and the start of term feast are like the big feast throughout the year because most people aren't there for christmas 
So the events that we know to have been held in the Great Hall are Christmas feasts and Halloween feasts. Like I said, start of term, end of term feasts. The dueling club was held in the in the Great Hall. The Yule Ball was. Apparition lessons, OWLs, NEWTs. A production of the Fountain of Fair Fortune, as we hear throughout the tales of Beat of the Bard. And the Battle of Hogwarts and Dumbledore's or Voldemort's death happens <laughs> in the Great Hall, which we've talked about many times as being the better way for him to die. And it also, throughout the years, did house the Gryffindor students one night um, with purple sleeping bags. That can be Katie's trivia corner for the episode. The color of the sleeping bags were purple. When um, the students couldn't go back to Gryffindor Tower because it was believed that Sirius Black, or I guess Sirius Black, did break in to the common room. Next, I'm going to talk about the room of requirement. This is going to be the last section in this one, so don't worry. I'll be done talking soon. So the room of requirement is located on the seventh floor opposite a tapestry showing Barnabas the Barmy trying to teach trolls ballet. The ballet. Train for the ballet, paw. So you must walk by a stretch of wall, this stretch of wall, three times thinking of something you want, and then the room appears to you, providing with you with what you want. So some notable instances, um, the first one in 1927, so we see this in the uh, Crimes of Grindelwald, it is shown that Dumbledore keeps the Mirror of Erised in there. I don't know, like maybe that's in the screenplay, it's called The Room of Requirement. Um, and he goes in there to visit his old flame, Grindelwald. But this complicates things and messes with canon as everything in Crimes of Grindelwald does because in Goblet of Fire, I guess you could like easily cover this up as just being like, oh, Vold- or Dumbledore was lying. Um, but Dumbledore is shown to like not know what the room of requirement is in Goblet of Fire. We hear him talking at the Yule Ball because Igor Karkaroff is like, we can't share our secrets because some, or like Krom and Hermione are talking about where Durmstrang is and Karkaroff butts in is like, oh, study there, Krom. We can't share all of our secrets with our like Hogwarts Kim. British companions or whatever and Dumbledore is like oh I couldn't even begin to imagine all of Hogwarts secrets like just the other night I was wandering the halls and stumbled upon this room that was just full of chamber pots that I'd never been to before um and then I don't know kind of what happens in Order of the Phoenix whether or not Dumbledore is like oh I didn't know that room existed or oh the room requirement was a great place to hold the GA um but anyways, it's implied that he doesn't know what the room requirement is, but then obviously in Crimes of Grindelwald we see him knowing about it. And I believe it's also been proposed that the Mirror of Erised was in the room of requirement in the first book. I don't believe that's ever been confirmed. I think that's just kind of like people's headcanon. I'll talk about that later. Oh, okay. Never mind then. <laughs> uh, and then, so like I mentioned before, another instance where we see it is that Dumbledore um, it p- appeared as a room full of chamber pots for him one night. Fred and George have hidden it once when they were hiding from Filch. It was a broom cupboard that time. Filch has found extra clean supplies in it as needed. Dobby has used it as a place to help Winky sleep off her hangovers, as we talked about, as we had talked about in previous episodes. And then Tom Riddle finds it, but I did not look more into this, but just from memory, I don't know whether he actually knows that it's the room of requirement or whether he just knows it as like the room of lost things because that's the only time we see him like use it. 
um, and he hides a diadem in it, in it. So I'm not sure whether that's confirmed, like whether he actually knows that it could be anything he wants it to be or whether he just knows of the room where lost things go. Mm. And then obviously the biggest instance of this is when Harry uses it for the DA throughout Order of the Phoenix. Draco uses it um, for the vanishing cabinet to let the Death Eaters into the castle. Harry hides the Half-Blood Prince book in there, which is like when he he uses the diadem as like a place marker for like where he hid the book, which is a fun Easter egg kind of thing because then we know it's in there. And then throughout the Deathly Hallows, it's used as a safe house for students as as well as um, an entrance for all of the reinforcements to be able to get to Hogwarts through the Hogshead into the room of requirement. So yeah. <laughs> I love the room of requirement. I think it's such a cool mm-hmm. like aspect of the series because like just you reading that like I feel like I always just remember it as the DA and you kind of forget how many like purposes it serves throughout the series. Yeah. All right, so now shifting gears to talk about the grounds. So the Forbidden Forest, which technically aren't really the grounds, it's like the edge of the grounds, but I feel like it's important to talk about. Um, So it's actually in the movies called the Dark Forest, which bothers me so much. Really? Yeah. Do they like never say the word Forbidden Forest? They never say Forbidden Forest. Wow. Um, Somebody, I was reading a, like, Reddit thread, because someone was asking why is it called, like, is it the Forbidden Forest or the Dark Forest? And I know in the American books it's the Forbidden Forest, but somebody suggested that in the Philosopher's Stone, like, in the British books, it's the Dark Forest, Hmm. which I have always kind of heard of people being upset about it being called the Dark Forest. I don't know if it's Americans being ignorant. So if someone has read the British books or, like, has copies... I think I have a copy of the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. I I think I have a copy somewhere so I can check, but it... I always thought it was, like, Forbidden Forest was canon. Yeah. I don't know why that would be something that would change, but... Um, that was, like, a speculation by someone, and it wasn't saying that, like, for sure. That's what what it, what it was called. Speaking of inconsistencies throughout the book, sorry, this is just a little rant that I'm going to go on real fast. So, Super Carlin Bros have been hosting trivia nights, I think, every, like, Friday through Kahoot. And, like, 8,000 people are watching, and you have to be, like, one of the first 1,800 people to join the Kahoot, because that's the max. Whatever. One of the questions was, like, the... The question was about the order in which people appear from the wand in Mm. the um, graveyard scene at the end of Goblet of Fire. And I know that in the books, in the first editions, it's incorrect. Lily appears last. James appears first. In their quiz, James was the correct answer. And Jay's defense of this was Was it asking who appears last? It was, like, about the order. I don't know, like, what it was. Like, you had to fill in a blank or something. Um... And Jay's defense of this was like, well, the books are incorrect. The way the spell works, it would have been Lily and then James. I'm like, but that's not how it is in the book. So it can't be in, like, hmm. I, I understand Didn't what he's saying. Didn't it get fixed in later books? I do think it got fixed in later books, which is why it shouldn't be a trivia question to begin with if it, yeah. like, the books contradict themselves. But Jay was, like, defending it because he was like, well, the spell works this way. The book is incorrect. That's not how it would work. I'm like, yes, I understand that, but that's not what happened. Yeah, that's I was annoying. very heated about it. Anyways. 
So if if you have like what you think, if you have like want to fight me on that, like put it in our Facebook group. We can have a conversation about it. <laughs> okay, so back to the Forbidden Forest. Um, it's an ancient place that is home to many creatures, including acromantulas, thestrals, unicorns, centaurs, werewolves, formerly Grop, the Flying Fort Anglia, formerly Fluffy, hippogriffs, and then also deer and foxes were listed. <laughs> Okay. Which, like, makes, makes sense. sense yeah. yeah. Um, it's strictly off-limits, except in the cases of detention, <laughs> which is just, that's a whole other thing we could get uh, into. It's so funny, but we're referencing philosopher, so sorcerer slash philosopher's stone, where um, Malfoy, Neville, Hermione, and Harry got taken there for detention. And care of magical creature cl- creatures classes are sometimes kind of, like, in the outskirts of the forest and clearings and stuff. The types of trees include beech, oak, pine, sycamore, and yew, which I think a lot of those are, like, prominent wand trees or mm-hmm. wand woods, which I think is interesting. And there's an undergrowth of knotgrass and thorns. Um, there are some paths and clearings, and, like, that's... You, you pretty much have to use the paths going off the paths. It's pretty much impossible to walk around. And Harry and Co. enter the forest in every book except for Half-Blood Prince. Hmm. Um... And JK kind of says in the ebook, she's like, it's one, she, she finds it to be like one of her favorite places or like one of the most interesting places at Hogwarts. And then I found this Wizarding World article um, that says like what the forest says about different characters. And I thought it was kind of interesting. So I'm just going to read like clips from it. But about Hagrid, it says his fascination with its creatures showed him to be an eternally curious man with a need to champion the underdog. About Malfoy, it says, The Forbidden Forest showed Malfoy for what he was. A classic school bully, all sneering bravado and no actual actual bravery. Um, Talking about kind of like the times that Malfoy is in the Forbidden Forest with the detention and with the Buckbeak incident. Ron, it says, If Malfoy was all bravado and no bravery, then Ron was the exact opposite. Talking about (laughs) the spiders. um, When we know he has this fear of spiders and they follow the spiders into the forest. Oh, the spiders. Why can't it be for the butterflies? Oh, such a scary scene. <laughs> um, Hermione, it says, in their first year, Hermione helped Harry get the Philosopher's Stone by solving Snape's potions puzzle, for which she was rewarded 50 points. Dumbledore praised her use of cool logic in the face of fire. And so they, they said that this is kind of, this quote, this description of Hermione is reflected in how um, she goes into the forest with Harry and Umbridge in five, and she's, like, thinking on her feet and basically just comes up with a way to, like, get Umbridge off their backs. Um, we've talked about that whole thing on the Umbridge episode and how it's, like, kind of problematic. But just, like, Hermione being quick on her feet and not ever really getting rattled, um, for the most part. <laughs> And then for Harry, it says, The Forbidden Forest was often dark and frightening, but in the end, it was not the place in which Voldemort killed Harry. It was the place where Harry finally understood, the place where he saw his loved ones, and the place where he came back. And I think that's really cool, because throughout the series, the forest is, like, really ominous, and there's, like, a lot of not great things happen there for Harry. But in the end, like, I mean, obviously Harry gets, like, kind of killed. Not really. But, like, focusing on the light of, like, that um, interaction with 
his parents and Sirius and Remus through the resurrection stone. Uh, I think it's really interesting. So I thought that was kind of a cool article. I would recommend going to read it. It's just, like, it's pretty short, but um, it's cool to think about this place as, like, something that brings out kind of the best and the worst of people. Yeah. So then, moving on to other places on the grounds, um, Hagrid's Hut. So, of course, it's home to Rubius Hagrid and some of his pets, including Fang. Fang's, like, the constant pet that lives there. And it's a small wooden cabin on the grounds of Hogwarts near the Forbidden Forest. And, of course, it's often visited by the trio. And it seems like Hagrid has lived there since he was expelled from Hogwarts. It's unclear if, like, this hut was for, like, the gamekeeper and if mm-hmm. Og, the previous gamekeeper, lived there before him. And, and then maybe, like, Hagrid moved in or, like, Hagrid inherited it. Or if, like, it was built just for Hagrid. I, like, honestly couldn't tell you. Um, Thorfinn Rowell, not Bellatrix, set it on fire with Incendio following the Battle of, Ho- uh, Battle of the Astronomy Tower. And Hagrid had to go in and save Fang from inside, Aww. which uh, breaks my heart. And then Harry and Hagrid used Aguamenti to put it out. And then there's only one room inside. It's described as having hams and pheasants hanging from the ceiling. Um, there's a fireplace where most of the time... Hagrid is like boiling water from a copper kettle um, for tea. And the in the corner, there's a massive bed with a patchwork quilt over it. And then we have the lake. And so the actual name of the lake is unclear. I've always called it the Black Lake. Um, in the books, it's only called the lake or the Great Black Lake. But those are like not as names. They're as like, like descriptors. They're not, not capitalized. Yeah. Um, in the movies, it's called the Black Lake. And then I guess in the videos and then, like, video games and on Pottermore, it's called the Great Lake. Mm-hmm. And, like, in this ebook, it's called the Great Lake. I don't know. I, I just always thought it was the Black Lake. Yeah. But, hmm. um, I guess the Great Lake is actually, like, a real name of a Scottish lock that is freshwater and landlocked. And... It's filled with creatures, kind of like the forest. There are Grindylows, the little water demons, merpeople of, quote, a hardy Scottish strain, and a giant squid, which is semi-domesticated, and it lets students tickle its tentacles on sunny days when it basks in the shadow shallows. Ugh, I love the giant squid. That's like... It's so... It's such a, like, quirky thing. Yeah, it's such a, um... It's, like, one of the things that, like, fully reminds you that you're in this, like, fantastical, magical world when, like, the rest kind of, like, seems more, like, mundane and usual once you get to, like, later books. Like, them going to lessons isn't as fantastical anymore and all of these things. But the giant squid is just so fun and... It's, like, such a, like, niche part of the books. Like, he's, the great, yeah. the giant squid is maybe mentioned, like, once in every book. But it's yeah. just so good. I love it. Yeah, and on that note, um, J.K. writes in the ebook uh, about the giant squid. She says, giant squid genuinely exist, though they are most mysterious creatures. Although their extraordinary bodies have been washed up all over the world, it was not until 2006 that a live giant squid was captured on film by muggles. I strongly suspect them having magical powers. And I think that's kind of cool because it's like something that's real Mm -hmm. and it could just be like a normal giant squid but maybe giant squid are like kind of magical yeah i like that um the lake is the setting for the second task of the triwizard tournament 
which JK says that that's her favorite task. And I think it might be mine too, honestly. I don't really like the third task. I think it's underwhelming, like given the other two tasks. I like the but, third task. I think that okay. one. I well, think the third task is my favorite. But I think that's uh, um, also like very clouded by the Sphinx. Oh, you love physics. Yeah. I guess we'll save that for another... another Pop quiz question. Or an episode. That too. One on the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah. So, in the original draft of Chamber of the Secrets... Chamber of the Secrets? When you said that, I was like, what? I was like, that didn't sound right. (laughs) Chamber of Secrets. Um, Harry and Ron crash the Ford Anglia into the lake and they meet the people. And at this point, JK didn't, when she wrote this, like she didn't really know what function the people would serve um, later in the series, but she thought it'd be like a cool Easter egg. Hmm. Um, But then she ended up going with the Whomping Willow because like, that becomes obviously relevant and very relevant in the third book. So it's like maybe a more direct yeah, um, chronological order there. The Durmstrang ship appears in the lake in Goblet of Fire. And that kind of hints that it could be a magical shortcut to other waterways. It's not clear if like the Durmstrang ship can just do this with any body of water or it's something about the lake. And maybe any kind of magical ship could do this in the lake. Hmm. But it's kind of a cool mysterious place that we don't like hear a ton about yeah i like that and it's always like whenever you hear a description of the grounds of hogwarts like the lake always plays a prominent role in that description and kind of like they always talk about when it's nice the students lay out by the lake and that kind of thing like it's always just a constant in the life of hogwarts students and it's obviously, like, how they get to, how the first years, like, get to Hogwarts for the first time. So there's, like, importance in that as well. Yeah. Next, I'm going to talk about some castle residents who are not human. So first, I'm going to talk about ghosts. Um, so Hogwarts is home to many ghosts. It's actually the most haunted dwelling in Britain, which, contrary to popular belief, is not the Shrieking Shack. Um, that was all just kind of, like, fairy tales surrounding... Um, Lupin. Why can I not think of it? Ramus Lupin. Sorry, I could not. I kept on just thinking Teddy Lupin. I could not think of his first name for a hot sec there. Um, Ramus Lupin and like his use of the streaking jack throughout his years at Hogwarts. But Hogwarts is actually the most haunted dwelling in Britain. And it's kind of explained that Hogwarts is a very like happy and um, good place for ghosts to dwell just because they're kind of treated better than they would be most other places they're treated as just kind of like a normal facet of everyday life like students talk to them it's a way that they can kind of like feel more alive um and have interactions with living people so we see the four house ghosts we have the bloody bear and the gray lady the fat fryer and nearly headless nick who i'm not going to talk about in depth because we talked about all of those on our house episodes we also see moni myrtle and professor bins uh, moni myrtle's first name was actually wailing wanda i do like moni myrtle much better <laughs> and we don't know any of the other ghosts that dwell there but i feel like there has to be a lot more just because it is the most haunted dwelling in Bryn and the castle is just so huge. I feel like there just has to be more ghosts. And that's kind of hinted in the movies. Like there's always just kind of like ghosts walking around in the background, especially in great hall scenes. Um, But we never see them in the books. 
In the original notes, JK did have three other named ghosts that she thought about using. Um, one was the Black Knight. One was the Toad who would leave like secretions everywhere, like in classrooms, which is like real gross. And I don't know whether this is like, I mean, I from that it, I it seems like it would just be like a normal Toad. I don't. I don't know. But, like, toads can come back as ghosts. Maybe it was yeah. an animagus. Oh, I like, I like that. that. I like that. And then another one who was called Edmund Grubb, who would station himself outside the Great Hall and sometimes prevent students from entering just out of spite because he couldn't eat. Also, he died of eating poisonous berries. Um, and J.K. says in the notes that she's kind of she kind of regrets not using him. I think that that would have been, like, a fun kind of thing, like the giant squid, just another, like, yeah. quirky, fantastical thing at Hogwarts that seems normal to, like, students. And then there's also Peeves, who Peeves is now a poltergeist. Well, we also have Peeves, who's not a ghost, <laughs> but a poltergeist. Um, so I included him in this list, even though he's not really a ghost. Next, I'll talk a little bit about portraits. So, um... There are a bunch of portraits inside Hogwarts. And so this section isn't really about the portraits inside Hogwarts. It's more about, like, the magic of portraits and how portraits work in the wizarding world. So we do know that they are able to talk and they are able to move between portraits. It seems like they're able to move between portraits in the same building as them as well as any portrait, any other portrait of themselves that is out there. So this confuses me. So when we see Phineas Nigelis Black, I'm just going to use him as an example because we see him move around a lot. We know that he has a portrait in Grimmauld Place, and we know that he has a portrait in the Headmaster's Study. And we know that when he's in one portrait, he is not in the other one. The other one is blank. Correct. Mm-hmm. So am I to believe that there is only one actual portrait of every person that there was ever a portrait of? And they just move in between all of the portraits. This is also kind of hinted at when Ron talks about chocolate frog cards. When Dumbledore leaves, it's like you can't expect him to hang around there all day. So, like, is there just one Dumbledore for all the chocolate frog cards? Or is that the same Dumbledore that's in every portrait of Dumbledore? Not only is that confusing, but we also see evidence that this is not, in fact, correct. Because in all of the portraits of Gilderoy Lockhart, we always hear them as, like, they're all looking at you. So there's multiple portraits of Gilderoy Lockhart. So I am confusion. I don't understand. I think. Here's my theory. The... I think the norm is more like the Lockhart thing. Like, if you had multiple portraits painted, like, you can be kind of in all of them. But I think maybe the Phineas Nigelis black one is, like, supposed to be, like, there's something special about those two portraits that, like, connect. Like, those two portraits are, like, some sort of special connection. Maybe the black family had them made so they could, like, spy on Hogwarts headmasters or something. But, like, the same thing happens... Sorry, go with ahead. With the chocolate frog. I'm going to get to that. Okay. Well, I was going to bring up another instance, but... Oh. Well, like, I think maybe, like, maybe those are, like, maybe they were painted by the same person or something. Yeah, that's... I was kind of um, considering that. Like, there's some sort of connection. Like, they were made to be that way. And then, with the chocolate frog cards, maybe it's a similar thing where, like, they were all made the same way. So, like, maybe there's only one Dumbledore for all chocolate frog cards. Which seems... 
not great design but like maybe that's what happens when it's like mass produced yeah well because i was gonna say the other headmasters and headmistresses in the portrait like we see them get sent places for dumbledore like one goes to their portrait in saint mungo's and disappears too yeah so i don't i i don't like i i would i would be more inclined to believe that maybe like both of those paintings were done by the same painter and that's why like i think that's the solution i like the best but it's just it seems like a plot hole and i don't think that jk rowling actually thought of this i think she just used them on an as-needed basis i don't think it's necessarily a plot hole i just think it's like it just was not thought through which i guess is kind of a plot hole but like it's not that important yeah but i was just like thinking about it I mean, portraits have always been kind of confusing on how they work and, like, portrait magic. Um, But, yeah, so something to think about. And then also, so, like, the degree to which the portrait can interact with humans is based on the skill and the technique of the painter. So, like, the better painter you have, the more lifelike your portrait is and the more, like, complex thought that that your portrait can have. Um, And a portrait should be able to move in a usual way and speak like the person did. Um, In the ebook, it says, like, the portrait will use catchphrases um, and kind of have the same, like, way of speaking as the human that they're capturing. And then the portraits cannot have complex thought. They're quite literally two-dimensional. And they're just a representation of what the painter sees the person as. But there are some exceptions to this because we do know that the headmaster, like the portraits, as we've mentioned kind of throughout this section, the portraits in the headmaster or headmistress's office, they do, we do see evidence of like the current headmaster or headmistress using the portraits as guiding forces and advice, they seek advice from them. So it is hinted that these portraits I don't know whether they're just like so expertly done that they are able to have complex thought. Um, but yeah, they can have complex thought, I guess. Yeah, interesting. And then specifically about Sir Cadogan. So there's basically like a whole Pottermore profile. So I'm just going to try and run through it. There's not too, too much information, but we do have a fact file. His birthday is unknown. His wand, according to legend, is blackthorn and troll whisker and is nine inches and combustible. Um, I don't, I don't know. His house was Gryffindor. So from that, I guess we do know that he was born like post a date that he was able to attend Hogwarts or, you know what I'm trying to say. Like 10th century. Yeah. His special abilities are insane bravery. His parentage was, is both of them were wizards, and were, one of them was a witch, and one of them was a wizard. And then his family, in legend, apparently he had three lives, well, three wives who all left him, and it's also rumored that he had up to 17 children. Hmm. So, specifically about Cadogan, in the wizarding world, it's widely believed that he was a knight of the round table and was, like, part of the King Arthur tales. It's also rumored that he achieved this position because of his friendship with Merlin. So, like, you could have, like, a fun headcanon that maybe Cadogan and Merlin, like, attended Hogwarts at the same time and had a great, like, cross-house friendship. Gryffindor Slytherin. Yeah. So... 
he has been removed from all the muggle versions of the king arthur tales but in the wizards one in the wizard version of the king arthur tales he was right beside lancelot and percival and was one of the knights of the round table so in his tales he came across as very hot-headed and peppery and brave to the point of foolishness but was overall a good man who wanted to do good things his most famous encounter was with wyvern of Y, and a wyvern i guess is a dragonish creature and this one was terrorizing the west country and so cadogan went to fight it and in his first encounter with it it ate cadogan's steed bit his wand in half melted his sword and visor and cadogan barely escaped with his life but he ended up in a nearby meadow stole a fat pony from the meadow i guess and galloped towards the wyvern again with nothing but his broken wand so this could be an instance of bravery to the point of foolishness but he got lucky and when the wyvern like bent down to eat him Cadogan's wand poked its tongue which ignited the gassy fumes that were rising from its stomach and the wyvern exploded sounds like fluke yeah (laughs) and the phrase i'll take Cadogan's pony is often used by some older witches and wizards and it's basically like a phrase that means i'll make the best of this bad situation which i think is kind of funny it's kind of like those like merlin's beard or um, what's the other one? Like Merlin's pants. Is that said a couple times? Um, I, there's something with pants. Um, and then, so his portrait in Hogwarts is on the seventh floor, and it shows him riding the fat pony that he used to defeat the wyvern. I think I think that's how you pronounce that. I don't actually know. And he has a short stint as Gryffindor. Gryffindor portrait thing (laughs) yep (laughs) all right so secrets of the castle this is the last chapter in the ebook i debated including this or not but i guess we're gonna go for it um some of the stuff we've talked about a bit before some of it we'll probably talk about more later but just kind of an overview of some some of the mysterious things that are in hogwarts so the first is the mirror of erised um, it's an ancient ornate mirror. It has clawed feet and a gold frame inscribed with the phrase Erised Strehir Oit Ub Kafru Oit On Wosi, which, when you read it in reverse, says, I show not your face, but your heart's desire. So it basically tells you what the mirror does. Um, of course, it shows what you want most in the world, what you desire most. Um, and as an unknown creator, and it's unknown why it is at Hogwarts, it, like, there's proposal that maybe one of the professors brought it back because they were, like, curious about it, and they went on some travels, they found it, and they were like, hmm, I want to figure out how this works. Um, it's said to be, like, interesting rather than useful until Dumbledore modifies it to make it a good hiding place for the Philosopher's Stone. I think I wrote Philosopher's Stone during all of this because that's what it said in the ebook. Because now I'm like questioning what I actually say. I feel like I interchange, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and Dumbledore used it as quote a final test for the impure of heart. So it said that it was in the room of requirement for a century or so before he used it, and then he returned it to the room of requirement after Sorcerer's Stone. And so he, it was probably destroyed in the Battle of Hogwarts, which is kind of sad. But that I think points to like Dumbledore knowing about the room of requirement. Yeah, that's true. So that whole thing is very unclear. Yeah, because like 
I mean, like I said earlier, it, there's an easy explanation that Dumbledore was just lying, but it seems as like, I don't know, I think that that, like, statement that Dumbledore doesn't even know all of the secrets that, like, this thing happened was supposed to, like, represent the, like, vast, like, mm. m- the, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, like, how magical Hogwarts actually is and how, like, nobody will ever know all of its secrets. And then it kind of gives Harry, I feel like, this sense of, like, well, I know something about Hogwarts that Dumbledore doesn't, that nobody knows. And, like, obviously that's false because many people do know about the room. Or not many people, but some people do know about the room requirement. I, I don't know. I don't like that that sentiment is, like, retracted. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, like... I, I think the sentiment is definitely true regardless of this. Yeah. I think it's interesting that maybe, like, Dumbledore knew about the room where of lost things mm. or whatever it's called, but he didn't know, like, all the functions of the room or requirement, so, like, maybe he didn't know that it could end up being like any- chamber pots, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um. So, anyway, back to the mirror of error said, Dumbledore is kind of, like, warns Harry about it in Sorcerer's Stone because he says... And and this is kind of meant to show that, like, Dumbledore knows that life can pass you by while you are clinging to a wish that can can never be or ought never to be fulfilled. So, thinking about um, Dumbledore and his family. And the happiest and most satisfied person in the world would only see themselves, but it's kind of implied that, like, that would never actually happen because everybody always wants something. Yeah. So then I'm going to quickly just run through like, what we know people to have seen in the Mirror of Erised. So, Dumbledore, um, there are kind of, like, three different instances. In 1927, in, um, which is shown in Crimes of Grindelwald, it's shown, um, him, it, he sees himself with Grindelwald, his former lover. And then in 1991, he tells Harry that he saw a pair of, he sees a pair of thick white woolen socks, um, when Harry asks what he sees in the mirror. And Dumbledore stated that he had so many books and he could not possibly make use of them all, but a good pair of socks would be a nice gift. He was kind of complaining about, like, people always giving him books. Yeah. (laughs) Which is funny because those are, like, my two favorite gifts to get. (laughs) Books and socks? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I just love, I don't know, socks are a good gift. I mean, books are a great gift because, like, books are expensive. Yeah. So. Um... (laughs) But this is kind of implied that, like, Dumbledore was just... He wasn't going to tell Harry what he actually saw. Yeah. Um, And then JK has said that, like, what he actually sees is his family alive, whole, and happy. Um, Both of his parents returned to him, Ariana properly using magic, and Aberforth, like, their relationship reconciled. And then Harry, in 1991, he sees his parents and his whole extended family, which has changed in the movies. Um, But in the books, he sees, like, generations going back, which I think is really cool. Uh And then in June of 92, he sees himself shaking hands with Dumbledore. Or he says that he sees himself shaking hands with Dumbledore after winning the House Cup. He lies to Voldemort and Squirrel about that. But what he actually sees is himself holding the Philosopher's Stone. And that was, like, the way that Dumbledore had kind of rigged the mirror to hide it, hide the stone. And then in 97, J.K. said that he would have seen Voldemort defeated and dead. 
And this is like in an interview when people ask like, what would Harry see like at this point in time? And then she, they asked what Hermione would see in 1997. And JK said herself and her friends alive and unscathed, Voldemort defeated, and herself in a romantic embrace with Ron Weasley. Oh. <laughs> so cute. Um, in 1991, Ron sees himself as Quidditch captain, head boy, and standing apart from his brothers and being better than all of them. In 92, Quirrell sees himself with the stone to present to Voldemort, so that's why Quirrell can't get it, because he's not pure of heart. And then, when asked what Voldemort would see in the mirror, J.K. said that he would see himself all-powerful, more than anyone, immortal, and with no Harry Potter to stop him. Yeah, that's a bit about the mirror of Harrison, more than I intended to talk about. Um, So then the next secret is the pensive. Um, or pensieve, depends on how you say it, um, which is a wide and shallow dish made of metal or stone and often elaborately decorated or inlaid with precious stones and carrying powerful and complex enchantments. So they're really rare, um, partly because only like advanced wizards use them and partly because the majority of wizard kind is afraid to use them. Hmm. And traditionally they're buried with their owners because they're so intensely personal but the Hogwarts pensive belongs to the school and has been used by a long line um, of headmasters and headmistresses, kind of like a reference library. And then that pensive specifically is ornately carved stone and it's engraved with modified Saxon ruins, which mark it as an artifact of immense antiquity that predates the creation of the school. So it's said that the founders found it half buried on the spot where they decided to erect the school. And then the word pensive, spelled P-E-N-S-I-E-V-E, is a homonym of pensive, like meaning deeply, seriously thoughtful. Um, But it's also a pun because the sieve part kind of alludes to the function of sorting through masses of thoughts or or memories. And then just briefly on the philosopher slash sorcerer's stone, the legendary it's like the legendary substance that once believed to be the real and true goal of al- alchemy so it like it is something in the muggle world too um and of course turns base metals into gold and produces the elixir of life and then in kind of like legend it's described um variously as red and white which are both important colors and of course we know it to be red have we talked about that like um alchemy kind of theory about Dumbledore, Harry, and Voldemort, and like black, white, and red. Have we talked about that before? I feel like we have. Maybe in the Dumbledore like, episode? Vaguely. I don't know that we've talked about it in depth because I can't really remember exactly yeah. what it is. Maybe we'll but, have to talk about that yeah. in like a theory episode. <laughs> yeah. And then the Sword of Gryffindor. So. There's a lot of legend behind this. It was made a thousand years ago by goblins. Um, Godric Gryffindor commissioned it from Ragnac I, who was like the king of the goblin silversmiths, meaning that he was the best one. And it's pure silver inset with rubies, and it has Gryffindor's name engraved. And Ragnac liked it so much when he made it that he like claimed that Gryffindor stole it from him, and he sent his minions to go steal it back. Um, but Gryffindor didn't like pull, didn't 
kill the min- kill the goblins or anything. You just sent them back bewitched to deliver the message that he would unleash the sword on all of them if Ragnik ever tried to steal it again. So that's kind of where this like idea that um, Griphook has that wizards stole this from goblins comes from. And of course, we know that it can, can, can appear to any Gryffindor that needs it, and it imbibes that which strengthens it. And it's inspired by King Arthur's sword, Excalibur. Um, so that's kind of like why the lake thing comes into play in Deathly Hallows, because Excalibur was supposed to come from the Lady of the Lake, and it gets returned to the Lady of the Lake. Yeah, if you want to hear more about that, listen to our Gryffindor episode. We go, like, a little bit more in-depth on, like, its comparisons to Excalibur. Yes. And then the Chamber of Secrets um, was created by Slytherin without the knowledge of the other founders. It's unclear what his original intentions were. Um, Like, it could have just been to like have a place where he could maybe teach students the dark arts or like do things that he knew that other founders wouldn't approve of um but when he was forced out of by the other founders he decided to use it as a lair for a monster that only he and his descendants fellow parsimals could control so the basilisk comes into play and it's said that it was opened more than once between the death of Slytherin and Tom Riddle. So, like, Tom Riddle was not the first one to open it in, like, a thousand years. Um, in the 18th century, plumbing and bathrooms were added to the school, which is a whole thing. But <laughs> Corbin is gone, was a current student at the school, obviously a Parsonmouth because he's gone. And he worked to conceal the entrance as it was the site of a proposed bathroom. So that's why the, like, entrance is now the sink in the bathroom. And then the other thing that isn't mentioned in the book, the ebook that I wanted to include, because I feel like it's not very well known, is the Book of Admittance and the Quill of Acceptance. I love these. I think they're so cool. I love these so much. Um, so there's a writing on Wizarding World about this, um, which I recommend you reading. It's pretty short, but... I'll read an excerpt from it. So it says, In a small locked tower, never visited by any student at Hogwarts, it's an ancient book that has not been touched by human hands since the four founders placed it there on completion of the castle. Beside the book, which is bound in peeling black dragon hide, stands a small silver ink pot, and from this protrudes a long faded quill. These are the Quill of Acceptance and Book of Admittance, and they constitute the only process by which students are selected for Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. So the quill is said to be from an augury feather, and it writes in a silver substance. It's it's not ink, because augury feathers don't take up ink, so it's kind of like mysterious. No one knows what the substance is. And the quill will sometimes try to write the name, like write someone's name in the book, and the book will snap it shut to stop snapshot to stop it because the book does book is said to be a little bit stricter on like what qualifies as a student um or as a child showing magic um that allows them to come to hogwarts so like for example neville when he was born he like kind of snuggled into his blankets more um and it said that like even the midwives kind of missed this and didn't see it happen but the quill when that happened wanted to write his name in the book and the book snapped shut and the book did not let his name be written until much later when, when like bounced. Neville's Neville's parents or N- not Neville's parents Neville's like family were really worried about if he was um, gonna actually be magical and he like bounces from a large fall. 
So it's said that the Quillen book have an absolute perfect record of like keeping non-magical kids out. So like squibs, it said is really hard to tell because they often have like residual magic. Mm. Um, but the Quillen book have a perfect record of keeping squibs out of Hogwarts and admitting Muggleborn, which is in Wizards. Um, which I love that part that's like never really talked about in the books, but I think it's such a cool, like another really quirky thing. That's it's really cool how, like, they actually know that people are magical. <laughs> yeah, I like it a lot. Um, all okay. So I'm gonna do part two of Katie's trivia corner because this is what I had in mind. I also want to apologize. I've really been slacking on the trivia corner it's been a while since i've done one but um there are 142 staircases at hogwarts and if you add up one four and two you get seven fun fact hi my name is larry and i'm a slytherin my name is justin and i'm a slytherin and together we host the here's johnny podcast where we take a look at horror movies tv shows oh and games we also have had amazing guests on the show that are directors producers and don't forget writers twitch streamers and other podcasters yeah and you can also check out our show every monday just search here's johnny podcast in your podcast app of choice and you can always follow us on twitter at here's johnny cast we are sure you will find an episode you will love maybe just like all of Anders wands an episode will pick you so moving on to the pop quiz, this question today will be, what is your favorite room slash place in Hogwarts and, like, in Hogwarts or on the Hogwarts grounds and why? Yeah, so we got, like, four answers in the Facebook group from these, so I'll read through those before we give our answers. Um, so Anne, which this is your aunt. Correct. Right? Correct. <laughs> says Hagrid's house it's a safe place and feels like a great place to escape to definitely agree on that one mm-hmm. um Samantha says the room of hidden things the idea of all the lore that we could have had from the artifacts and hidden treasures in there makes my heart beat very fast very depresso about what the fiend fire took from us yeah agree on that too <laughs> um Leia said Gryffindor common room it's always seemed so cozy and homey and Leia you must be a Gryffindor <laughs> or maybe not. I feel like everyone just kind of looks like Gryffindor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. And then Sophie says that she feels like the grounds are a really underrated part. Whenever the bo- in the books it said that they would go hang out on the grounds once it got warm or when they'd finish exams, I always got so jealous. So, all great answers. My answer is the library. Ooh, I think, like, for me, it's close between the library and the Ravenclaw common room, but I feel like the library is, like, it's always talked about so much, and we, like, see it a couple times in the books and the movies, but I just, like, I love libraries. I love bookstores. I just love, like, being surrounded, like, floor to ceiling by books, and I feel like there's so much to discover there, and I, like, imagine it being so beautiful, so yeah, that's, I feel like I would spend a lot of time there. (laughs) Okay, so I think I'm going to give two answers. One is if I were actually a student at Hogwarts, like what I think my favorite places to be would be. And I think that would be my common room, obviously. So the Hufflepuff (laughs) common room. I feel like that's just where you would default, like spend the most time. And it would like feel the most like home in Hogwarts. 
I do think I would also very much enjoy the Great Hall. I think it seems like a very fun place. Like, I like it most when they're not doing these big feasts where kind of people just like going down and eat breakfast on the weekends, like at kind of whatever time. Like, you that's where like everybody in the school can be together. You can run into your friends from other houses. Um, I don't know. I think I like the idea of the Great Hall, especially yeah. like I said, like when it's a little bit more like casual. So I think those would be my answers if I were actually attending Hogwarts. As a reader, I believe that I really agree with the grounds. I really like Sophie's answer there. I think that I would be one of those people that like the first sign of sun, I would be outside like Mm -hmm. basking in the sun. I also really like the Quidditch pitch, like being such a big sports fan. I do think Mm -hmm. that like going down and watching Quidditch matches like would be one of my favorite places. So those are my answers. I know I gave literally four, but. Yeah, the Quidditch pitch is a good one, which I don't know why I didn't talk about that on the grounds. I mean, I don't think there's like a whole lot to talk about. I don't think there's much to talk about. Yeah. Um, Also, with the library, I wanted to say, like, I feel like part of the reason why I think it's my favorite place is like the reasons I gave, but also because I like, I want so much more information about it. And I just, like, I think if I could go see any, like, if you told me, like, you can go to Hogwarts and you can see any room, like, you can just see one room, but you can explore that room entirely, like, I think it would be the library for me. Yeah. Or the Ravenclaw Common Room. But I feel like we got a good description in the Ravenclaw Common Rooms. Like, there's more untapped knowledge in, like, the library or in the Room of Lost Things. Yes, the Room of Lost Things. Would be be, so fun to explore. Yeah, that that would probably be my answer. So fun to explore. (laughs) Uh, okay anyway that was a tough tough question it was thank you everybody for responding in the group if you guys want to be included in our episodes make sure you join our facebook group and you can have your answers highlighted yeah okay what do we do next oh you deep breath done with this long monster of an episode (laughs) it wasn't as long as i thought yeah it really wasn't but it's still pretty my hour and a half guess will be pretty on point yeah, with editing, yeah. Um, okay, so you can find our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, Google, the like. Starting, like, a few episodes ago. So, like, right now we're in the middle of our summer vacation schedule, which means episodes every Tuesday as opposed to every other Tuesday. Um, so make sure you check your app every Tuesday download that episode um because you don't want to fall behind yeah it would be tragic it would be imagine going a week without listening to us oh my god like i don't even know what you would do (laughs) um please 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 go leave us reviews and ratings on apple podcasts specifically it really helps us grow it helps us just get show up more in searches and it makes us feel really good about ourselves Yeah, it's a really easy way for you to give back to us if you do enjoy our episodes and want to help us. (laughs) We can also be found on social media. I hope you guys enjoy our social media profile pictures for the month of June. If you guys have noticed, they are different. So if you haven't, (laughs) go check them out. Um, We can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. We are Wizard Studies. And as we've been plugging kind of this entire episode, you can join our Facebook group. It's Wizard Studies Podcast Group. 
And then on Twitter, we are Wizard Studies. And you can also email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. Just a quick reminder, if you do donate to our fundraiser, which we very much appreciate, you can DM or email us your address so we can send you those awesome pride buttons that we have. You can DM us on any social media or you can email us, whichever you prefer. Yeah. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best, we'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot.